Welcome to the Westminster Effects Doxology Podcast, where we explore popular praxis songs and ideas in the modern church world in the light of Sola Scriptura and Toto Scriptura. I'm Cody Fields, the president of Westminster Effects. You can go buy guitar pedals at westminstereffects.com. Join the discussion in the Westminster Effects Doxology Podcast Lounge on Facebook. Support the show at anchor.fm. Subscribe and comment on Facebook and Instagram. You can win a book, uh, which we're actually going to give one away not this week. Seth Morrison couldn't join us, but we're going to do that really, really soon. He's just in the middle of nowhere with no reception on his tour bus. However, uh, joining me in person is Bradley Cox, pastor of Resurrection Church in Greer, South Carolina, and longing for some food this morning. Yeah, you and me both. Our We've stomachs got are going crazy. Ballistic. Uh, and via the interweb. Hey everybody, John Ross here, Westminster Effects artist, Augsburgian Christian, recently nourished by a burrito, so you can... <laughs> uh, and, uh, and definitely not uh, a, uh, a... Well, the long and short of it is, I, uh, I played my first like non-church gig in a long time nice. this past Saturday, so... Uh, uh, up-and-coming, mediocre country-western guitar player, maybe? Nice. Uh, so so you play both kinds of music, country, country and, and western. western. Yeah. <laughs> um, at, uh, at the ballpark in Omaha, actually, for uh, uh, for the AAA uh, farm team for the Royals. And uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was quiet. Like, uh, you know, the stands aren't very full. And um, I don't know. I like my, uh, my childhood farm team, the old Clinton Lumber Kings. Uh, a bit, uh, a bit better. That experience. It always had a very, uh, oh, how to put it. Uh, it was very festive, you know, like like Wrigley Field, you know, with the organ and all the sound effects. Oh yeah, and everything. You know, the seventh inning stretch and um, like it was a baseball tradition. At least when I was a kid, was alive and well uh, uh, down at uh, down in Clinton. Yeah, it we have. Seemed, uh, it just seemed have- kind of meh in Omaha. Yeah, we have the single A team for the Boston Red Sox, and they basically play in a in a replica of mm-hmm. Fenway Park. So you have the oh, Green Monster nice. out and left, which is fun. Uh, but we used to have the Double A Braves team, and back in the '90s when everybody was coming up, you had so Andrew Jones, Chipper Jones, Ryan Klesko, Tom Glavin, John Smoltz. Like everybody came through, and. Uh, so fun story. Yeah. Um, I know you've heard this story. So I was about five when Chipper Jones was playing for the Greenville Braves for that one year. I think he was 22, 21, 22. And everybody knew like he was already the number one pick, blah, blah, blah. And they would let them sign autographs down the first baseline until like 20 minutes before the game. Yep. Yep. I wasn't feeling so hot. So I was sitting up with my mom and sister and we had a ball just for Chipper to sign. Uh, problem was, we forgot a pen. Uh-oh. But my sister had one with the uh, a troll head, <laughs> you know, with the poofy hair. And you could pull the head off yeah. and, and blow bubbles. Oh, wow. <laughs> so it was right at time for Chipper to go on the dugout. And it, my dad was the last guy in line. Yeah. And he takes a look at my dad and he looks at the pen. He looks back at my dad and he just goes, I got to go. <laughs> Just, bails Just bails on him. I got to go. Oh, no. <laughs> and that is one magic loogie.
Exactly. Uh, but yeah, no, it was uh, it was a good time. One of our uh, I got to turn my preamp down. I'm peeking a bit. Uh, one of uh, our our new vocalists uh, at the band at church uh, also. Uh, uh, definitely a multi-talent. She's been blessed in, in very different, you know, in, in, in many, many areas, but, uh, she is a, uh, she's, uh, a country artist and, uh, has, has an album under her belt. Uh, and she's, uh, just, just incredibly good, talented songwriter. And, uh, but also, uh, tours locally uh, with uh, with her band doing uh, dance shows down at the Playmore Ballroom, which is kind of a um, it's it's like a hybrid square dance. It's a hybrid honky tonk and then big band uh, ballroom, mm-hmm. um, depending on the night that you go. And uh, yeah, her uh, they uh, they booked a, a pregame show at Warner Park in Omaha, and uh, her guitarists weren't able to make it, so she asked me to go and. And, uh, you know, I'm not a chicken picker, right? Like I, I, uh, had some hand injuries in my left hand when I was a kid. And so I just, I can't move them that fast. Right. Um, mm-hmm. but, uh, so, so I can't, you know, I can't fly with the stuff, but I can, I can learn parts just fine. Right. Um, but, uh, you know, I forgot, like I, I listen, like confession, I listen to contemporary Christian music. Sorry. I know it makes me totally lame. Um, <laughs> But like when we introduce a new song at, uh, at church, I'm like, I know this, I, you know, I know, I know where the chorus is. I know where the bridge is, you know, whatever. Um, these are like, I, I barely knew the artist on some of them. Um, but, uh, but it was cool. It was cool getting out of my comfort zone and, uh, and playing that. I, uh, I did have a pretty, pretty sweet, uh, sort of Chuck Berry inspired solo on, uh, some days you got to dance by the Dixie chicks. That was, uh, <laughs> that, that was a, that was a tune. Uh, but no, no, it, it, it went, uh, it went really, uh, it went, it, it went really well. Um, uh, it was an outside show and, uh, we, we had a storm front coming in. So the, the wind was really cold and I'm very much a touch player. Like, uh, the intervals and the the spacing between frets and everything is how I know where I'm at. Um, and I couldn't feel my fingers. So, uh, the first few songs, uh, I mean, <laughs> this just keeps getting better. It wasn't bad, but, uh, it, it wasn't bad, but it wasn't anything special. Cause like, I just, I had no clue. It was like, I had to look at the fretboard, but I hate looking at the fretboard. Totally not my thing. Um, but yeah, yeah it was a good time. So, uh, shout out to the Mackenzie J. Lynn band from Lincoln, Nebraska. She's actually opening for Clint Black at the Iowa State Fair this summer. So oh, how uh, about it? Well, how about that? Yeah. How about stuff. it? I have no transition. <laughs> There's no possible transition. Uh, goodness. But we, we were having a conversation before we recorded about this whole uh, gas shortage panic, mm. toilet paper 2.0. Mm. Uh, kind of thing where you know, for those who have thankfully not listened to the news, uh, a an oil pipeline company was hacked. It seems by a, some Russian dude or something like that, demanding ransom to let their stuff go. Uh, but it also happens that they're still operational. But everybody's panicking and buying gas. Yeah. And so we were, we were kind of hoping to explore some of the concepts beneath that of, well, why are we so prone to panic 
in in our in our culture right now? Why are we uh, so distrustful that you know we're going to be taken care of and and whatnot? Like even with the toilet paper thing, well, you don't have any like leftover Sears Roebuck catalogs from way back in the day or anything like that, or. <laughs> Sears and Robot. <laughs> yeah. What the heck? You're welcome. You're welcome. <laughs> Stay out of the Woolworths. <laughs> <laughs> Were you banned oh, gosh, from all of them you. or just that particular brand? <laughs> oh my Or newspaper leftover Christmas wrapping paper. Uh I had a pretty bad joke. Never mind. I'll refrain from saying that one. Uh, but what is it about us that makes us panic so hard? Well, I I don't know that I have a <clears throat> you know fully fleshed out answer for that. Other than to say, I think we're in some ways we're scared to death that all of the conveniences and luxuries that we've come to depend on are going to be taken away from us. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, the, the toilet paper thing was, man, you know, what are we going to do if we can't have, you know, a, a package of toilet paper from Costco that, you know, has 75 rolls in it. I mean, what are we going to do? Um, you know, and, it's same with the gas. It's like, we're so used to being able to get as much as we want whenever we want. And, mm-hmm. and someone perpetuates the notion that true or not real reality or not, that it, there might be a shortage. People panic. It's just amazing to me. We, I was telling you before we started recording that um, last night I was at home. It's like nine thirty at night and somebody texts uh, my wife and it's like, what's going on at the gas pump? And, you know, so I start digging around online to see what's going on. Um, and, and I remembered about this pipeline hack and I had the thought for a minute, um, do I, cause I, I knew my truck was low on fuel. I knew it was low on fuel and I needed to get gas this morning. I had the thought was, well, should I, should I hop in the truck at nine 30 and ride down to the gas station and fill it up? See if I can get gas. Cause people completely were completely unrelated. You should know better than to run your truck down. That's bad for the lift pump, son. I know, man. I know <laughs> it was just a busy day yesterday. And also for the record, I hate that cat. Like I just hate that cat. Oh, good. <laughs> <laughs> hear that but anyway, I, I decided, no, I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. My legs work. If I have to walk to work, I can. Um, and because I'm just not, I'm, I don't know. I'm, I'm refusing to, I'm boycotting the panic. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to engage in that. And I think, you know, because it's so fear-based, it's so fear-based. Um, what are we going to do? Well, I mean, yeah, gas is a big deal. Um, but, and we can go from there and start to talk about deeper things, but I think that's, at least at the surface of it, particularly milk and bread, <laughs> which has never made sense to me when it's about to snow here, people clean out the milk and bread aisles. And I'm like, if, if it's about to snow, I'm going to get charcoal and meat. Yes. <laughs> I, I'm not milk and bread. What are you going to do? Yeah. You're going to have a milk sandwich. I mean, like that, that doesn't even make sense. <laughs> it's like, I mean, the 1800 staples like come back, you know, like when the toilet paper thing, right? I was in High V, which is which is kind of a, a big grocery store uh, chain here in the central Midwest, and uh, and 
you know, of course they were, they were out of uh, bath tissue, we'll say, uh, but they were out of flour. Like who's, who's making bread right now? Like, <laughs> like I get it. Like you can, I mean, there's a lot of people who, who bake and really enjoy it, but like, even if you're stop, even if you are a doomsday prepper, I know some people like that and that that's fine. I mean, I want to be friends with them. I'll say, I'll put it that way. I want to be friends with the right, right, right. I'm not one. So I need to be friends with one. You know, I think that's just good advice in general. Um, but like, even if you're like stocking up your own fallout shelter, like the government in the forties didn't even put just sacks of flour in a fallout shelter. Like wh- why is that what you buy? I mean, <laughs> this is, this is like, this is like first and second Samuel era nutrition that like they're, they're focusing on like, no, just buy beef jerky and multivitamins (laughs) and carbohydrates. Like go to Shields and buy an MRE. Like don't buy fricking flour. Like (laughs) make manna. I don't don't understand, but yeah, milk and like absolutely milk and bread. Like I understand bread, but like, I mean, combination milk, milk for the kids. I, I don't, I don't know. I mean, like our kids drink milk all the time. You know, it's, it's something that, uh, that I grew up with too, but like if worse comes to worse, I'll give them a Mountain Dew. I don't care. Like they'll be all right. <laughs> but you know, here back, back to the whole gas thing. Um, before we get into, uh, to, to really this, this underlying fear and, and anxiety, right? One thing I haven't noticed is I haven't seen a run on the pumps here in Lincoln. So just what, what's your gas price right now? Two, uh, I, I filled up this morning. It was two, almost 280. I know it's yeah. actually almost 290, yeah, which is same. about a 30 cent jump for us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. same here. Uh, we were about 287 at our pumps. I mean, we're ethanol enriched. Uh, which is just horrible in every way, um, but nonetheless, uh, we're we have. I I don't know. I I I haven't seen a run of the pumps anywhere in town. Um, and you know when when I was thinking about like maybe some uh, some cultural reasons um, why because it, it seems like we've had an increase in this sort of you know run on the toilet paper, run on the flour, run on gasoline. But I mean, admittedly, my, uh, my like 20th and 21st century, like history isn't, isn't the best, but I would almost say, have to say that there were probably runs on things just all throughout the last forever. Um, ever since there were stores would be my guess, but I can't put my finger on it. Yeah, you, but, you see, you see, particularly uh, with stock market crashes and stuff like that, people rushing to pull their money out of the bank. Sure, um, and then you have that, that took down the Bailey Mortgage and Loan, and right? And then, uh, and then you, the thing that really came to mind last night with everybody rushing to the pump was uh, the Carter administration. I was thinking with, the same thing. That gas shortage, yeah, um, which Reagan totally debunked. I mean, mm-hmm. he takes office and goes, "Look, there's plenty of oil." And it didn't take long for gas prices to come back down, right? And, and whatnot, right? Yeah, I mean, I I guess the thing that I was jumping to is is like, is there a 
Is there an increased focus on the quote-unquote apocalypse, the pending apocalypse, more so now than there has been in the past? I guess it would be the... Uh, and not just be the question I'd raise. Not just on the Christian right. You see it on the sure. on the secular left as well. There was someone I don't remember who, I, but it was it was someone in the administration, whether a CDC or FDA or what have you. And uh, I think it was surrounding the Texas Rangers opening their stadium at full capacity on opening day uh, that she had the sense of impending doom. Like literally, is, she said, is that, wh- is that where that soundbite came from? It, it was something along those lines. Ah, like, good grief. Let them um, play baseball. Right. Let, and let me watch baseball in person. Yeah, right. Um, <clears throat> but, but there was, it was either around that or maybe Florida opening up and ending all of its mask mandates and stuff like that. And what do we see? We see nothing but fewer and fewer Rona cases. Mm-hmm. Sure. Like it's, it's one thing for, hey, we don't know what this virus is, so we're going to be extra careful for a few weeks. You know, there's there's something reasonable about being extra careful until we figure out what it is. But now we know what it is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> we, like, we know we obvious obviously not saying that it's not a big deal. Sure, but we know it's not the Black Death. Yeah, yeah, we we have friends who have had it, and it sucks. It sucks. <sighs> People with underlying conditions have absolutely died from it. There have been complications that have caused deaths understood. But I think what we're both getting at is, uh, on that topic at least, is uh, there's almost a sense that, uh, I, I think the, the, the term would be uh, demagoguery, mm. Right where where you make things seem worse than they are in order to garner the response that you want and yep. and like CDC does does good work right i i have i have very very little evidence or interest for that matter in in trying to say the CDC is some sort of of shadow uh, mm-hmm. organization i yep. i think they, they they do good work they take care of things but when faced with a uh, uh, when faced with with a challenge, right? Uh, people will sometimes resort to uh, to more uh, I don't know uh, proven, we'll say proven tactics to uh, to to get the outcome that they want. I mean, shoot, look at the uh, look at the announcement that uh, that they made a couple weeks ago. Now it's like. Apparently, up until two weeks ago, we were supposed to be wearing masks outside. Right. Like. (laughs) Unbelievable. And now, since I'm vaccinated, I can take off my mask outside. Yeah. Like, it's. We're outside. Like, I don't under, I don't understand. Well, even even the Biden administration. Yeah. Even the Biden administration with Biden wearing a mask on a Zoom call. Like and wearing it outside, like, dude, you're vaccinated. You're not going to get the virus. You're not going to give the virus. There's no data to suggest any of that either. It's just appealing to our base instincts of fear, right? Yeah. Yeah. And and I think I think uh, part of the root cause is basically just unbelief. Uh, it's it's our unbelief that God's actually going to take care of us. Um, and and some of this. Obviously, I can't say this is a specific judgment for a specific thing, right? We haven't been told that. Um, 
But I just keep coming back to Romans 1 of God basically running the reductio ad absurdum on us. Like he's reducing our our thought process to the idiocy that they that it is, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, for although they knew God, they didn't honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. Mm-hmm. Like, we just keep seeing that over and over and over. Yeah. You know, guys, I <clears throat> I think I was on your dad's podcast and I was asked about what should the Christian response be to woke culture and, um, you know, all these kinds of things, you know, should we speak out against it? And, and it, you know, I'm not saying this is true for everybody, uh, but I find myself increasingly thankful that I don't have a huge platform uh, where I feel this pressure and responsibility to respond mm, mm. to all that's going on in the world. I think a broad worldview can be helpful. Yep. I think being aware that that the the kinds of things that we experience and enjoy and struggle with in this particular part of the world is not all that's going on in the world is a helpful perspective yep. for a variety of reasons. But at the same time, I think the the globalization of our society contributes to the panic. You know, mm-hmm. um, I think that it, it, it the panic and fear um, that you know there there is there is something beautiful and wonderful about when it comes to woke culture or other things that I I have my little tribe, my little corner of the kingdom that I'm responsible for, and I want to do that well and steward that well and be faithful in those circles and provide where I can for my neighbor and my neighbor mm-hmm. provide where they can for me and and we we take care of each other and um, you know the Bible certainly talks about anxiety and fear as not being something that it, it's, is supposed to dominate our lives. Um, but you know, the, the, the world views in the day when scripture was written were, were very small, you mm-hmm. know, Jesus's ministry took place in a very small piece of real estate. Yep. Um, and, um, it's touched the world and it's, you know, certainly applicable to the world, but it, it, I don't know. I, I, I just had a sense last night even of wanting or, or being grateful for the fact that you know what I live seven miles from my office. Mm. It's not far. Yeah, I, I can. I don't have to panic. You know, um, and I'm not saying that a, a gas shortage. If we ran out of gasoline, would we die? I mean, I, that's just. <laughs> I, I just. I feel like. I feel like the media is perpetuating things for the sake of ratings. And and you you were making some really good comments about. Uh, the media before we hit record that I think would be worth sharing because I think yeah. that it's it's a it, it's a major problem and I don't know how to solve that problem. Yeah, so I don't watch any TV news. It's just neither it's, do I. It's not news anymore. It's commentary, mm-hmm. and it's always commentary. And they have to keep saying something. It's it's almost like everyone in in the news wants to be Stephen A. Smith about the news mm-hmm. and Stephen A. Smith is even annoying about sports. Mm-hmm. So do it that way. You will. Um, but so my, my 
morning routine these days is obviously as a Christian, you have to start out with Albert Moeller's briefing. You're not, <laughs> you're not saved if you don't start with Moeller, yeah, yeah. right? Um, but I also listen to uh, NPR's Up First podcast. It's like 15 minutes. I listen to everything on 1.3 anyway. So it's not quite 15 minutes for me. Um, but it's just kind of a rundown. You get a little international news here and there too. Um, and by and large, they're probably the most balanced news source. There is some lib- liberal lean though. But the way that they've handled, uh, just for example, the the situation with Israel and Palestine at the moment, where you know it's it's Ramadan, it's kind of an Islamic big deal, uh, and there are Palestinians being evicted from a Jewish neighborhood. Well, well that sucks. Well, why are they shooting people up? Well there's been massive resistance and they've been properly evicted because people haven't paid rent for like 20 years. <laughs> turns out. Uh, so what I keep seeing, so one, I, I, I do like to listen to things, uh, but I also like to read as much news as I can. And one thing that I keep seeing that's probably more indicative of anything is, is what's called burying the lead. Uh, when I was in school for journalism, so I kind of know what I'm talking about here, uh, we were we were taught to write in an inverted pyramid. If, if you could imagine yep. that, your most important, your base goes first. And then gradually you get to less and less important things until you wrap it up and whatever. Uh, but consistently across all of news coverage, Fox... Uh, MSNBC, CNN, doesn't matter what source, I keep seeing the lead in like the fifth or sixth paragraph, Mm -hmm. which is so deceitful. It's Mm -hmm. dishonest. And uh, it's really just trying to keep eyeballs on the page longer so they can get more online advertising. Essentially, that, that implies that the first four paragraphs are nothing but hook. Yeah. And instinctively, I, I read the news. I only read news now. Um, I find myself opening an article and it's almost subconscious. I scroll past the first three or four paragraphs scanning to get to the point because I know the like it's instinctive. I know the point is three or four paragraphs down. Right. Right. Yeah. And so let's see. Mm hmm. Somebody say something. I'm going to find a a news story real quick. You know, it's not a. It's really not a surprise that this is the way it is. I mean, if if we look at there, there is no real media except for potentially NPR. But that, I mean, like, I'm not saying that NPR is not biased. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that they're they're exempt from from this train of logic, at least. Um, is that almost every other media outlet is a for profit organization? You know mm-hmm. where where their their mission statement so to speak at least in practice is make money by having a product that people desire to consume i mean look at the uh look at the magazine shelves at the uh, uh at the grocery store i mean sun national enquirer you know whatever all those tabloids and they sell that you know they they sell they've always sold because it's not just conspiracy theorists and stuff. It's just, it's people who, 
like, oh my gosh, I can't believe that happened to, to Tom Cruise. Oh my. Um, and, and it's that sort of journalism that's, that, that's uh, uh, almost seeped its way in and, and really taken hold on mainstream media. And regardless of, of what you watch, it's not just political bias. It's sensationalism and focusing on the wrong thing in order to main, acquire and maintain viewers. I mean, if you if you twist and spin a story just a little bit, well, your headline's different, and that makes that means you have an exclusive at this point. And if you have an exclusive, then that makes you desirable. Mm-hmm. And the the whole thing is just an orchestration for for ratings for which get you more advertising dollars, uh, which make you more money. I mean, that's all it is. It's like news is not at least cable news and, and whatnot is not a public service. And that's something that even I took for granted for a long time. And it wasn't like I had like a jaw dropping moment when I realized it, but it was, it was definitely something I had to realize is that, Oh my, you mean everything that I've watched as a kid, KWQC TV six news from uh, Davenport, Iowa, for-profit business. I grew up, you know, hanging on there every word. Well, Gary Mativier and Shannon Durek just followed them everywhere they went. And they were in it for the money, for the most part. I mean, it was their job, but the organization that paid them obviously wants to grow. And that's something that we have to understand is they're selling a product and they have to make their product more uh, attractive and uh, more compelling uh, to uh, its potential customer base. So how do we uh, all it is? How do we fix it? Uh, particularly for the Christian, who I mean, you got to know what's going on to some extent, sure. Uh, but there's obviously an unhealthy line. So where do we go from here? Like you don't want to just outright say, "All right, I'm not doing." Well, I don't want to say, "All right, just don't read or listen to any news." But how do we do it healthily? But you know, I I love the way um, John Piper defines the providence of God. Um, you know, the word providence, you know, having its roots in you know provision, you know, yep. seeing ahead of time, or the 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 phrase that we use all the time when you know if Cody says to me, uh, "Hey, we we um, we're out of guitar strings. Our stock of guitar strings at Res is." really low. We need to get some more. And I I look at him and I say, all right, I'll see to that. Mm -hmm. So God is always seeing to the needs and, and cares and, um, and, and, and the spiritual growth and health of his people. And I, I had a phone call this morning, about an hour long phone call with someone who's in the midst of a crisis. And they called me to just talk through so, you know, as things develop and they uh, more information comes to light, and they're they're making decisions that you know consequential type decisions, you know, stemming from the crisis. Uh, the more we talked through things, the more we both just began to give thanks to God for the way in which His providence is being seen in this. Yeah, and this person that I'm talk I was talking to is not panicking. You know, he's sad. He's, he's, it, it's, this is painful. This is hard and mm-hmm. weighty. But yet, 
as we talk about things, we, we keep saying to each other, man, look how God was ahead. And he, he it, you know, this came to light and he's already opened a door to deal with that particular issue in the crisis. It's like God's providence is just all over that. And if we could just remember that and, and root our thinking there, you know, when the media gives us reasons to panic, um, we don't panic. Right. That's, that's really the truth. And, and I found myself this morning, uh, as as I was praying this early this morning um, and thinking about my friend who's going through a crisis and thinking about the gas shortage, I found myself it, like I didn't say it out loud, but what was going over and over in my soul was the Lord's prayer. You know, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven and give us today our daily bread. Like there was such a, a sense of the Lord's peace that Paul calls peace that passes understanding that is the antidote for anxiety in Philippians, right? Mm -hmm. Um, There was such a peace that I felt just rehearsing that, that, you know what, whatever daily bread I need today, the Lord's going to provide. Yep. It doesn't mean I'm going to be without pain. It doesn't mean I'm going to be without struggle or questions or at times doubts and fears that I have to wrestle with. But before I even get to all those things, I know that daily bread is there for me. Um, It will be enough. And that's where I can rest. And so I don't know how to solve the media problem. I don't know Mm -hmm. how to, I don't know how to go find information without having to have pretty hefty filters on right now. Yeah. Um, And so, uh, you know, do, do what you will, you know, seek the advice of people like Cody who, I think understand media better than I do and uh <laughs> and and anchor to the fact that God God's providence is amazing. John has whipped out Luther's catechism. Go so. for it, John. That is the small catechism, but the small catechism okay. with uh with explanation. And uh the reason I did is because you know we we've mentioned on the podcast when we've talked about uh prayer before where really Prayer is is us aligning our will with God's, right? That's what we've talked about, uh, and and there is uh, there's there's just a beautiful explanation of the uh, um, of the fourth petition, which is give us this day our daily bread. What does this mean? Sorry, I grew up appreciating that phrase. Along with this is most certainly true. Um, God certainly gives daily bread to everyone without our prayers, even to evil people. But we pray in this petition that God would lead us to realize this and to receive our daily bread with thanksgiving. What is meant by daily bread? Daily bread includes everything that has to do with the support and needs of the body, such as food and drink, clothing, shoes, house, home, land, animals, money, goods, a devout husband or wife, devout children, devout workers, devout and faithful rulers, good government, good weather, peace, health, self-control, good reputation, good friends, faithful neighbors, and the like. When we think of, when we make it at a point to intentionally realize, in the spirit of the birds of the air, who don't toil or spin, Yet they don't. Yet they don't long for clothing. 
or or go without food in the same way our father pro- provides for us and it's it's in this petition of the lord's prayer where we pray give us this day our daily bread so that what we're actually praying is father help me truly appreciate my daily bread mm. all that i have for this day for yesterday mm-hmm. and the days to come comes from your bountiful hand mm-hmm. Help me be a person of that perspective. Because when we have that perspective, whether we find ourselves in in want or plenty, we realize that what we have is exactly what God has given us. And we can give thanks for what we have, whether it be in, in want or plenty. That's, mm. that's uh, it, it's honestly one of my... Uh, uh, one of my favorite portions of the Lord's Prayer, that and uh, and the uh, "Thy will be done," but uh, it's it's such a beautiful realization. Where yes, I mean, of course, we you know we're called to be good stewards of of that which the Father has blessed us with, but nonetheless, we have to realize the source of that blessing and that God is steadfast and God will provide and God will care for those whom He loves. Even those, even those who are, as, as Luther puts it in the small catechism, evil. I mean, we should give thanks to God that other people are being taken care of by our Heavenly Father as well, showing His love and mercy. So, Amen. Good yeah. stuff. Let's leave it there and do a really quick inquisition. Let's do it. All right, and this is the Inquisition where you contribute to the show by asking us questions and we wing our answers just like the rest of the show. Uh, but that is done via a weekly post in the Westminster Effects Oxazi Podcast Lounge. And as tra- as is tradition, we start with Brian Morris who asks, how do you know when it's time to leave a denomination? So not just a local church, sure, but the denomination as a whole. I gotta think when there when there are explicit denials or contradictions of core tenets of the gospel. So mm-hmm. a, a really easy one would be uh, denying the Trinity. Like if, sure. if they go if they go modalist, right? Mm-hmm. So so it's not that God is one essence and three persons eternally uh, mm-hmm. existing co-equal. Mm-hmm. It's it's something along the lines of God puts on a different role. Yeah. yeah. He, he, you know, he was the father, he turned into Jesus and then he turned into the spirit. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, obviously that, <laughs> you know, you don't have the same God at that point. I mean, I, I, I think just, we can say blanket heresy, right? Yeah. I mean, heresies that have been refuted by uh, certainly scripture and uh, the expositing thereof is found in the confessions, church councils, and creeds, and so forth. I mean, that's certainly that's certainly one reason. Um, I assume, Brian, what what you're talking about here is is uh, not a uh, not a formal organization by denomination. Like, I want to leave the Southern Baptist Convention. Gosh darn it. Uh, you know, just like I often want to leave the LCMS, but there's not there. I mean, there's nothing for me to leave. I mean, like, it's not like I can go down and say, listen to me, like I'm out, you know, I, like nobody cares. 
right? And they're like, well, <laughs> put your offering in the basket on the way out. See you on Sunday. <laughs> you know, like that. Um, but I, I think in act like in actual uh, a litany of of beliefs, so to speak, and an actual statement of faith and a creed. I mean, uh, if uh, a credo, rather, there are only three creeds. Um, but I suppose if there's a, a disagreement between your understanding is found. Uh, through the revelation of Scripture and what a larger church body believes, then either seek to understand it or find one that aligns with uh, the truth as revealed in Scripture. It's a it's a strange. Uh, I don't know. Why don't you? Why am I answering this? I I I was baptized in a freaking Lutheran church. And I, <laughs> like I don't. You guys answer this question because y'all y'all pieced out from your origins. This is yeah. where you guys need to speak up. Well, I think that um, certainly you know what you guys have said is true. I mean, obviously, if there's heresy and you know compromise on things like the authority of Scripture, you know basic moral standards that, you know, such as ordaining homosexuals and affirming gay marriage, things like that are all reasons to bail for sure. Um, for me, I mean, I, I have left a denomination for all intents and purposes, you know, rest church is now functioning as an independent, uh, church, mm -hmm. non-denominational church, uh, when it was not originally. Right. And the primary reason for that is not because the denomination was, you know, heretical per se, or, uh, it took some sort of immoral stance. Um, it, it's mainly because the distinctive of the denomination is no longer something that I hold to. You know, a denomination has a distinctive. I mean, a Lutheran, there are maybe multiple distinctives that are important. You know, if you're going to put Lutheran on your sign, if you're going to be a Lutheran church, there are things like, like years ago um, when I, you know, had vacated the denomination I grew up in, um, I toyed with... Um, I say toyed. I had some conversations with people in the Anglican Church in the in the uh, Anglican Church in North America diocese of South Carolina, mm -hmm. um, and I sat down with them along with my friend Seth Kane, who's been on this podcast and is now leading an Anglican church. Yep. And I had conversations with them about some of the Anglican distinctives. One of which was, and we threatened to do this podcast about this, was <laughs> paedo baptism. <laughs> And I asked a series of questions about that and was kind of saying, well, is there room, is there room for um, maybe s some credo Baptist practice mm -hmm. in the, the Anglican church? And, and if I were to become a part, if I were to bring my church under this diocese, you know, is there room for that? I was just, I didn't know. I was just asking. Mm -hmm. And the guy looks back at me and he smiled and he said, look, uh, if, if you, if you can't go along with that, you don't need to be Anglican, right? You know, it's really that simple. And so mm -hmm. I think leaving a denomination, if you are no longer, um, emphasizing 
or celebrating would be the better word, the distinctives of that denomination, then I think that's that's at least worth considering. You know, you have a lot of churches that now shove their denominational affiliation in a drawer somewhere. They just take it off the sign and shove it in a drawer and and don't talk about it um, because they, you know, they might try to still extract some benefit from it, you know, where, whether it be in missions or ordination or, you know, 501c3 status or other things like that. Um, but they just don't, they don't want to be associated with it, you know, um, which is a difficult position to be in depending on what kind of leverage the denomination has over that church. But um, I don't know. I, I, I guess all that to say Bradley Cox and Res Church uh, left a denomination for the the reasons that I've already stated is that we're not we we are not we're only not, not emphasizing <laughs> we're not gonna we're not that that distinctive is not us mm-hmm. you know uh, we are not in 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 the in the in the modern understanding of it or denominational understanding of it we are not a Pentecostal charismatic church and that is why we're no longer associated with that denomination. So I, I guess that would be, Oh, I will say this, you know, I don't think we should be flipping about this any more than we should be flipping about leading, leaving a church, a local church. I mean, it, every church and every denomination is going to have its weaknesses. It's going to have in one sense, it's reproach to bear. No denomination is perfect. Um, There are going to be things that, you know, maybe we don't agree with or aren't handled properly. I mean, it's, it's, it, it, denominations are flawed, just like local churches are flawed. Um, that doesn't mean we need to throw the baby out with the bathwater, but I would never advocate for flippantly leaving a denomination any more than I would a local church. And we've seen some of that. Mm-hmm. I don't recall the guy's name. Uh, I do remember simply because this was part of the reasoning is, uh, he's a black pastor with a predominantly black church, I think in the Chicago area. And they just, they recently left the Southern Baptist convention alleging all amounts of racism. And then all of the examples they gave were like, what? No, like that's, that's silly. You know, Mm -hmm. uh, when it was, when it was really just them wanting the SBC to be more and more woke and catered to them as much as they wanted. And that just wasn't going to happen. Uh, that that's a bad reason, I think. Yeah. So, but anyway, uh, we're, Pretty much out of time. We'll. I have a couple more Inquisition questions, but we'll just do those next time. Why don't we do one? Why don't we do one? Because I, you know, we I didn't get on the call till like nine fifteen or eight fifteen your time, so <laughs> we got a little bit of time. Let's do one more. One more. Okay, real real quick. Ryan Eigel, <laughs> with the issue of the Catholic Church fencing the table to people like Joe Biden and Nancy Pelosi due to their stance on abortion being in the news. Will we see a trickle down to Protestant churches and pastors being more diligent in how they administer and allow those in their churches to partake in the Lord's Supper? Maybe. Uh, possible. That's the question you chose for like one more, like just a really quick one to finish us out. Neither of them were going to be particularly yeah, well, quick. Well, I, I think we can give a quick answer to that. Honestly, I mean, I, I think if uh, there is any sense of casual uh, contempt even 
uh, towards the Lord's Supper in the Protestant church, then my hope would be whatever the Lord has to use to yeah. bring us into greater intentionality and focus around the Lord's table, mm-hmm. so be it. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. Uh, I think I think a lot of times, um, yeah, these, these instances kind of prod us into thinking about you know, maybe things we've taken for granted. Sure. And uh, and it's like, oh, maybe maybe I should think a little bit differently about that. And then maybe it doesn't change for us. Maybe it does. We'll see. Yeah. Well, alrighty. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. <laughs> 